if you look at things from scarcity, you're crossing off so much potential opportunities. You're not allowing your mind to even bring up these possible opportunities because you're in just in such scarcity to so many things. Whereas if you're in abundance of a lot of things and you think in terms of abundancies, you naturally attract more opportunity to you because you can see that opportunity. Hey friend, what is up? This is episode number five of the Creator Maker Life podcast, and I am your host, Roxine Key. In this podcast, I tell the stories of the people who tell our favorite stories online. I interview your favorite content creators, influencers, and founders of brands to learn why they do what they do and how they do what they do. This is my attempt at figuring out practical mindsets, strategies, and principles that you can apply to your own life and work. In this episode, I will be hanging out with my friend Anthony Sestilli. He is a web developer and former top 200 StarCraft player. He originally worked as a software engineer at Intuit and quit his job after nine months to pursue his many pursuits, which we will go into all of that in this interview. And don't worry if you don't know what StarCraft is. We'll talk about this in the interview as well. So after quitting his job at Intuit, he had many pursuits, as I mentioned before. That includes a drop shipping store, which he grew via Instagram without any advertising. He founded The Forge, a community to help students get software engineering jobs and to prepare for engineering interviews, which he grew to 7,000 members within two months, again with zero advertising. He was also one of the youngest consultants on TopTal, a competitive premium freelance platform that hires only the best talents and it has an incredibly rigorous uh, hiring process. So these days, what is Anthony doing? These days, he's continuing his software consulting to fund his crazy micro ventures and business experiments, including most recently, I just had dinner with him a couple of days ago, trying out affiliate marketing. In this episode, we talk about a lot of things. This is a pretty wide ranging interview. We talk about finding ways to excel and how he did that, even if he got low grades, and how after just eight months of learning to code, he got that internship at Intuit, which eventually turned into a full-time job for him. Uh, we talk about how he became one of the best StarCraft players in the world. We get pretty real in this interview and talk about how he almost got kicked out of his software engineering program in school because he was focused so much on StarCraft. And we also talk about what it was like to have to tell his parents that he was quitting his job. We also dive a bit deeper into meditation, into self-reflection, into the differences between having an abundance mentality and a scarcity mindset. So a pretty wide-ranging interview because Anthony is a guy who has a lot of interests. And I'm just excited for you guys to hang out with us today. Uh, and without further ado, here's my interview with Anthony Sestilli. Hey, Anthony. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming on the show. And even though it's super last minute, thank you so much. You're a great friend. <laughs> no worries. All right. So how about we start us off um, by telling our listeners um, just some greatest hits of your life, how you got to be where you are now? Sure. So I guess like a TLDR a short summary is... Um, I graduated from Ryerson, and before I graduated, um, 
I was like really interested in like video games and um I pretty much like spent a lot of time playing video games and stuff like that and I became top 200 in a game called uh, StarCraft and I realized if I could do that I could like focus and get really good at anything so I channeled that energy towards coding um which led me to an internship in Silicon Valley as a software engineer which led to a full-time job and then after that full-time job I ended up straight up leaving uh, coming back to Toronto and just uh, trying my hand at creating new businesses and new things, I guess. Cool. And so could you tell me about three things? Intuit, Cats, and Valley Talks. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, so Intuit, Intuit was a really great company. So they do a lot of tax software. And I ended up working there as an intern and uh, as a full-time engineer for a total of around nine months. Um, one of the things I really liked about Intuit was that there, I guess, um, it really showed me how even if you have a big company, you can still make it really lean and easy to sort of move forward. While I was there, like I had an amazing manager and he gave me so much freedom that while I was there, I was able to really grow as much as I wanted to. And that entailed starting my own team aside from the team I was working on. Mm. Um, I had the opportunity to sit down with the CEO of Intuit, Brad Smith. Um, as well as the co-founder, Scott Cook, who were both amazing, amazing, amazing people. Um, and it, it, just, it was just such an amazing environment. And the fact that I was just able to straight up email whoever I wanted to just to get a meeting with them, I thought it was like really good company culture. Um, and yeah, so Intuit sort of like set the tone for me in terms of like what company culture means and how a like really cool company uh should like operate moving forward. Um, and then you said the second one was cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. So I think we talked about, yeah. So um, I got interested in drop shipping after I came back to Toronto and I decided to start a drop shipping store around cat products and cat products is sort of like the, like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like the drop shipping. Well, obviously you're clearly familiar. You worked at Shoelace. A right? little bit, but uh, for our listeners who aren't as familiar, could you kind of go into that and explain it a bit as well? Sure. So dropshipping is a form of like e-commerce where uh, you put up a website and you pretty much um, get products from a third party site. So there's a let's say, for example, you wanted to sell Amazon things. Uh, You would get a bunch of like products from Amazon. You would put their pictures and their descriptions on your website and you would sell it at a market price. So the price would be a bit higher than what it would be on Amazon. Um, And then from there, what you would do is when someone buys the product on your site, you just go to Amazon and purchase it on Amazon and send it to their address. Um, So a lot of people sort of see it as a bit like taboo or like scummy. Um, But I, I mean, like on a business level, like this is what all pretty much retail and grocery stores do on a basic level anyways. Um, So I got into that and I figured the cat niche is one of the most oversaturated ones. So it'd be a perfect one to start with because if I could break in uh, to the cat niche, I would be able to like break into any niche. Um, (laughs) Okay. Challenging. Um, And yeah, so it went really well. I ran it for around five months and by the end of it, I was making around three to four to $500 per month. Um, without any money in advertising whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I eventually uh, decided to stop. Uh, t- but I am uh, going to start it again, probably like in a year's time when I, uh, when I have more time, I guess, to dedicate to it. But it was really fun while it lasted. Yeah, I actually want to go into that. Um, but before we do, um, 
what you mentioned that you were top 200, was it, in StarCraft? Yeah. And when you were kind of playing StarCraft and you figured out, okay, I can apply some of the mindsets that I use to get good in the game to the rest of my life. Like, what was the internal debate that kind of went on in your head? And how did you apply that to, say, getting a job at Intuit, to starting up your store and your other businesses? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I, I think it sort of has to do with the premise of why I got into gaming in the first place. Um, I went to a high school that was, like, in my opinion, pretty competitive. And I was sort of at the lowest tier of the of the of the like leaderboard pretty much i was like at the bottom i got like the worst grades like um i would do like the worst on pretty much everything so uh i guess my way of coping with that was like finding an area in life that i could be good at or something that i could excel at and i had always played video games since i was since i could remember um and video game was sort of that out for me um, and when I set my goal to be like top 200, like it was like my plan wasn't just like, yeah, I want to play video games on the side. My plan was I am going to become one of the best StarCraft players in the world. I'm going to move to Korea, compete competitively and like make this my entire life. Like that's pretty much what it was. Um, and I guess I it, and for four years, I spent around maybe eight hours a day practicing and playing to get to the point where I was top zero point like zero two five percent of the player base. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I sort of asked myself and I was in the middle of university and I was like, OK, like I could either proceed to like move forward gaming and like pursue like the pro path or like I could take that discipline and that sort of drive and focus it on something that would be more, let's say, fun. Because um, by the end of it, it felt like a giant grind. And I guess the biggest internal debate I had there was what I was going to do moving forward now that I hit that like major goal. Um, and yeah, I decided that like m- putting that dedicated drive towards something that can make me a lot of money and a stable <laughs> yeah. career, et cetera, et cetera, in the future was like the most um, promising thing. And then that's when I decided to like really take my coding to the next level Mm -hmm. so tell me about that time in your life like when was this what what year in university was this like what decisions were you facing and yeah just walk me through a little bit more of that yeah so i was in second year university um i had put so much into gaming until that point that i almost I almost got kicked out of the engineering program at (laughs) at ryerson (laughs) my whole first semester I, I went three months without showing up to a single lab or a single Ooh. class. And, and I almost failed three different courses because I had, like, my midterm marks were, like, below 50. And I got zeros for most of the labs. Um, so <laughs> that's the place I was in. Um, I was like, okay, I'm pretty shit at school. But luckily, like, in software, um, I was in the computer engineering program. And computer engineering is, like, nowhere near related to software engineering. Um, or very far, very far from like industry level software engineering. So I realized like, even though I screwed up my marks, like I would still be able to get a career in the software engineering industry because uh, when it comes down to it, how well you code doesn't like is completely independent of GPA and big companies like Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, explicitly state that like GPA doesn't make much of a difference in the hiring process as much as like how well you are at coding. Um, That's, 
that's what my mindset was like. I felt really great for myself because like I had just achieved a goal. I'd been like gunning towards eight hours a day Mm -hmm. for like the past four years. So I felt really great. And I felt like if I broke down this barrier, uh, like there's no other barrier that I couldn't break down. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, if you want to get a job at X, Y, and Z in Silicon Valley, like you have to start coding X amount of time in advance, but I'm like, whatever. And within (laughs) eight months of like quitting StarCraft and doing coding, I got that internship. Uh, so it felt really great. So there's that's a really cool thing you have there because you basically quit StarCraft Cold Turkey and then you just shifted your mind totally to coding. Was that what happened? Exactly what happened. I was just like, all right, like time to just like dedicate this flow of energy into something different. That's an incredible amount of focus. Um, and okay, I was wondering, when you did hit top 200 in StarCraft, did you feel like a little bit of dissatisfaction where it's like, oh, is this it? Um, like, did you feel like that? Um, Maybe at first. I guess by the time I hit it, I knew I was going, like I knew I was already playing at that skill level and I knew it was it was just a matter of time at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, dissatisfaction, not as much. It was sort of like a relief only because uh, for the last like maybe like seven months of that gr- of like that journey, it really started to feel like a grind. Like mm. I wasn't enjoying playing anymore. Like I was pretty much just forcing myself to do it because I said I was going to like hit Grandmaster, mm-hmm. which is the name of it. Um, I was like, I'm going to hit Grandmaster, and like it, I started doing it out of like desperation more so than like fun of the game or inspiration. Um, and it was a big relief. I think I was like, okay, I can finally like do something else. Um, so when you tell that story, like I can feel your passion and I can feel like the drive and the ambition be- behind not just like getting top 200 StarCraft, but also in whatever you do today. But was that always the case for you? Um, As far as I can remember, yeah. I think two qualities that I still have um, that I've had since I was like a kid is like, number one, I'm like pretty risky. So... Um, I like to take like a lot of risks. And number two, I'm pretty extreme on my opinions uh, or like what I want to do and what I like to do. So for example, like if I like want to be a professional gamer or like if I want to be a really good coder or whatever, like I sort of take it to the extreme. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the drive and passion uh, comes from. Could you tell me about the biggest risk that you've taken that you like kind of panned out and went very well for you yeah so um when i was in silicon valley like i always knew i was gonna leave and start my own uh company um and then like one day out of nowhere like i was talking to one of my friends who have who was my mentor um and he just like said something and it convinced me to like just be like all right i want to quit now (laughs) and like within the span of six hours i went from like working my job to like going in the next morning, handing in my resignation letter, and then, like, two weeks later, moving my entire life back to, like, (laughs) Toronto. Like, I ended up losing money because um, I had to pay back a lot of, like, the bonuses they gave me in the first Mm. place, um, which I initially spent on, like, flying there and, like, paying down first month's rent. I had to break my leasing contract, um, which cost me a bunch of money. So, like, I pretty much came back like having no more money than I had when I left. <laughs> so and what so the, was it that the inventor told you that made you do uh, that? Um, so he was like, yeah, dude, like if you leave, like 
we're gonna like let's like start a business together and like it was like pretty like looking back on it it was a pretty irrational decision because like we had no idea what we were gonna do we had no idea like what was gonna happen it was just like yeah dude let's like just live in an airbnb downtown and like start a business together i'm like all right and i like quit my job and then like made like moved my whole life back to toronto and like it turns out that uh, the business we started together like didn't pan out at all. So like after like a month after I moved back, it was sort of like, all right, what the hell do I do now? Mm-hmm. So let's say for example, someone who is currently working a nine to five and they have a side hustle. Um, maybe it's a YouTube channel, maybe it's a podcast, maybe they're re- starting a blog. Like, what would you advise them to do? Would you advise them to do what you did, or would you like? What would you tell them? Um, I think it depends on like their personalities and sort of what they want to get out of life. Um, like the first year after I moved back was just like unsuccessful. Like because I didn't, I didn't really have any side hustles while I was in California because my visa didn't allow it. So it was sort of like I came back and I had no idea what to do and I had like no bearings on what had to be done and the first year was just like a big bundle of like what the hell is going on i started like maybe 10 different businesses like a lot of them failed a lot of them fell flat like i went into debt like etc 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 i think if the person is the type of person that like is willing to undergo extreme circumstances um to like grow as much as possible i would advise them to do it but not a lot of people i think are okay with that type of pressure or that Mm -hmm. type of like instability um like i said like i'm okay with instability and i'm okay with risk so that's why and if someone was okay with doing that then i would advise them to do that because i think growth like the maximum amount of growth comes when you're under like the most pressure or like there's a lot of instability um Mm -hmm. but like if they're more of a bit of a risk adverse type of person i would recommend maybe like waiting until the side hustle like is like at least a bit profitable that way like if you quit your job you're not just straight up like how the hell am i going to pay rent or make sure you have a bit of a cushion uh before you do any of that Mm -hmm. uh yeah i think it depends yeah yeah something you said about um the pressure and that's how you grow that really stuck out to me because like i think i read something about how when you make a diamond before you can make a diamond, like it has to undergo like extreme amounts of pressure, but then you kind of create a gem that is the hardest like substance on earth. Um, And you kind of have to go through that if you want to become someone better or like the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good analogy. And I think another thing as well. um, So I was taking this entrepreneurship class in Ryerson. um, Woohoo. Go Rams. (laughs) (laughs) And, from there, I was reading some research papers about entrepreneurship where it's like entrepreneurs, they're not necessarily bigger risk takers. They just kind of perceive risk differently. Um, and maybe something that seems risky to other people doesn't seem risky to them because they have knowledge, like specific kind of knowledge. Where it's like, no, it doesn't seem as risky. Like, for example, um, starting your own business, it might seem risky to other people. Um, or to someone who has a nine to five job, it might seem risky. But then for me, it's like I quit my job because for me, it was riskier to be working at a job where I could get fired anytime. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have that kind of like, did you see the risk of quitting your job at Intuit differently? Or was it just straight up like you just quit your job and you just thought it was risky, but you took it anyway? Um, I think that 
what you just said is like really, really interesting. And I've never thought of it that way. But yeah, when I quit my job at Intuit, like I didn't perceive it as a, as big of a risk as like, as like, I guess most of the people that told me it was a really big risk. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I do understand what you mean. Um, about sort of perceiving risk differently like in my i'm sort of similar to you in the sense like in my opinion like the real risk was like staying at a nine-to-five job and like not doing something else that could like catapult not just my career but like my self-improvement to like another level it seems like the like i see growth as a very exponential thing so the earlier you start the more results you're going to have by like time x so let's say i think it's a lot more risky if my goal is to like grow as much financially and like i guess like mentally by the time i'm 30 i think the bigger risk would have been to stay for like an extra year or another two years um just because of that exponential factor in growth so i guess i do see it a bit differently than a lot of people would perhaps Mm -hmm. is there another instance or moment in time when this kind of thinking caused you to make another kind of risky decision that people, when they look at it from the outside, it doesn't make sense, but for you, it makes total sense and you're, you don't regret it anymore these days. Uh, yeah. So things like, for example, um, turning down, so turning down offers that are just like, okay. So for example, um, like a big thing that happened to me while I was at Ryerson was a lot of people were getting internships and a lot of the times people would get, uh, internships that were sort of like not the best, but they were something. And a lot of people would rather have like something rather than nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think like, yeah. So like, for example, when I was in second year, like instead of taking, I had the opportunity to take like this internship at an app development company. Um, but the thing was, like, the company was sort of still starting out. Like, the engineers weren't that strong. And I saw it more as a risk to, like, go and work there for the summer and make some money than to, like, not work anywhere and, like, sort of just learn on my own and, like, take the summer to, like, do my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the risk wasn't, like, a monetary risk. The risk was, like, a competence risk. Like, mm-hmm. I was pretty much risking, like, becoming a or not learning as much over the summer as like if I took a position that was like not paid or like no position at all, but like learning better, I guess. Um, I guess when it comes to like evaluating risk, what you want to get out of it, I think is a huge, huge, huge factor. And a lot of people, when they look at a business, a lot of it is just the monetary value of it. Um, But I see a lot of things for the value that the mental, I guess, value, Um, the growth value. Yeah, I think so. A couple of things, two comments about what you just said. The first is like you have to be willing to let go of good if you want great. Mm. I think is what you just did, right? Like for people who, let's say, they get a co op job where it's like, oh, it's just okay, um, but it's not really exactly what I want, then they're settling for good because like there's risk involved where they might not get a job that summer. and the other is that actually I totally forgot what the other point was. <laughs> <laughs> but um so aside from quitting your job at Intuit, were there other choices you made along the way that kind of made you who you are? Yeah, so I think um one of the biggest 
I think gaming uh, was a huge, huge, huge factor in who I became uh, because of what I already talked about. The, the idea of like focus, drive, and discipline um, came from gaming. Um, I think, right. So there's also a lot of, so on the, on the topic of like mindset, I think a huge thing that I randomly started doing for like almost no reason back in grade 12, which is around six years ago, is I decided to journal every single night before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. I had no expectations of like what this journaling would encaps- encapsulate, like what it was supposed to be like, whatever. I just opened a notepad on my computer and every night before I went to bed, I would just write anything I wanted to about the night. And I've kept that habit up for six years now. And um, it it was like probably the first introduction I had to like really formal self-reflection. And I think that self-reflection has helped me be like get to where I am and helped me realize the sort of importance of uh, like growing as a person and like growing your mindset uh, just in general. And I think that opened up a whole new like world to me that I've been like, that I've dived into uh, since then um, that I, that have really shaped who I am just as a person. So could you go a little bit deeper into that? So do you journal every day? Um, how long, like, you have you kept it up every single day since then? Um, were there times when you stopped? Uh, were there times when it was more important? Um, could you go more in detail? Yeah, so uh, for the journaling itself, like, there were, t- like, months where I would stop it because I was in, like, for example, I would be, like, visiting a foreign country or I'd be really busy or it'd just be in a weird environment um, where, like, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do so before I went to bed. Uh, so, and what that introduced me, and I still do it today, and, like, I do it in different forms. Uh, what it really did was it showed me, like, six years ago that, like, mindset is, like, a huge factor. And, like, mental health is a huge factor mm-hmm. of, like, how you go about your day. Um, and it introduced me to a lot of different things. Like, for example, um, I picked up this thing called a five-minute journal. Five-minute mm-hmm. journal is just, like, something you – it's, like, a physical journal. And, like, in the morning, you write – you spend like two minutes writing it in the morning and then like three minutes writing in it at night. Um, hence the five minutes. Um, and I do that every day. And um, I recently like got into like, like meditations, um, just, just stuff like that, stuff that keeps your mind on track, um, understanding like how your mind works and understanding how to realize whether you're like in a state of like inspiration versus desperation. If you have like, you know, the whole like law of attraction stuff, whether you're like thinking in terms of abundance or scarcity, um, a lot of that stuff was a catalyst because I started journaling. God, and there's a ton to unpack from what you just said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Could you tell me about a specific moment in time when because you were more self-aware than you were before you started journaling that you were able to actually work through a problem that was dumping you yeah for example like um the idea so i'm a big fan of napoleon hill and he has Mm -hmm. a lot of thoughts on the subconscious and the idea that like your subconscious mind like if you have a problem, for example, and this could be something as trivial as like coding. If I'm like stuck on a coding problem, like 
I've had times where like I'll spend three hours just sitting there trying to like figure out the problem and like working through it. And then I'll have times where I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back. I'll go and like, I'll play a video game or like I'll go read a book or like I'll watch a show and then I'll come back and I'll have a completely different perspective on things. Mm. Um, And that perspective comes from sort of like that idea of like your subconscious working on the problem while you're gone. It gives you a fresh new perspective. You sort of like zoom out and see the problem for what it is instead of like your zoomed in perspective when you were working on it. I think uh, that's a huge, huge factor of something I've learned. Mm. Was, did you always kind of have this skill or this knowledge of using subconscious? Um, Because personally for me, like I only learned it after reading this book called a mind for numbers, by Barbara, Barbara, Barbara Oakley, um, and yeah she talks about you have to kind of load up your mind and think rationally work through the problem first and then you kind of step off you take a break play some sports and then you come back and that's when you get the eureka moment so for you did you always know kind of unconsciously how to do this uh i don't well i think maybe like everyone on like a certain level like understands that this type of thing exists like i mean humans even use sayings you know you'll hear someone say like oh yeah i'll sleep on it or something like that i think like maybe on a very like primitive level it's like something we might understand but i didn't like consciously like understand it conceptually um until i read this book called learn or die um learn or die which talks about it and yeah also like the point really got driven in by napoleon hill's thinking grow rich when i was reading that as well so it was something i picked up along the way um and it's been really helpful really helpful something that you mentioned before was that when you got back to toronto um then you started like 10 businesses and then you were in debt and all these things like when you came back um were you living with your parents were you living by yourself um what was your financial state at that moment in time Okay, so that's a really, really good question because when I first came back, um, I was like so confident that I would have no problem within the first like three months of me moving back, like of just starting a business and making bajillions of dollars from it. I was (laughs) like, I didn't really truly understand what it meant to start a business. So I like used my remaining money that I had as well as like a couple of credit cards to like rent out like airbnbs all across downtown and for the first three months i lived in like airbnbs downtown toronto which were hell of expensive and then like after the three months i'm like all right like clearly something is wrong here like i don't think i can sustain this lifestyle and i like moved back with my mother um <laughs> and, like, i lived there for the next year pretty much yeah <laughs> like um yeah so yeah that was pretty pretty funny story i think <laughs> i think like that's a factor for me too. Like right now, um, I have some credit card debt. Like this is the first month. Like I hope my mom does not hear this, but this is the first month where I only paid the minimum and not the full amount. I see. For my credit card, it was nerve wracking. So yeah, I'm living with the parents right now. Um, I have a, I have really good credit. As I had credit cards for a while, I've paid them all off. Um, <laughs> so like, approximately how many months did you like live off the credit cards and had to like? just pay the minimum and couldn't afford anything else yeah it was about a year um and i guess it was more of a stubbornness like i had the opportunity to do like a couple software jobs here and there to like make money but i was like no i refuse to do anything uh to make money other than like start a business which i Mm. uh later 
stop that attitude, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Did you think it was like a bit of pride? Because I'm going through that myself. Like there's some freelance jobs where I'm like, I really don't want to do this, even though I need the money um, just because it's not creatively fulfilling for me. Like, was there some sort of hubris or pride in your decision? Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of it was pride. When I left my job, I was like, that's it. Like, I will never have to work for or like take any direction from anyone else ever again, which is foolish on like multiple levels. I think uh-huh. looking back on it now, because even like, for example, with my consulting company, like a lot of it is still like you are sort of serving the client, like you are still accountable to them uh, type of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the day that you kind of realized that that was wrong and you switched gears. Like what was the turning point? Um, it was a couple of months ago. And I think like, I realized, so I've been doing a lot of thinking of like belief systems. And I realized one of the mm-hmm. beliefs I had was that like, um, I shouldn't ever like have to work for anyone again, because I should be like good enough at business stuff and entrepreneurship to like make that money on my side. And I was like, all right, like, what is the point of this belief being here? Like, has it helped me in any of my businesses? It is not. Has it like helped me mentally? It is not. It has helped me financially. It definitely has not. Uh, So then like, what is the point of that belief? And then I was like, I guess there is none. And then I sort of just like removed it from my mind. And like, I was like, oh, I guess I can take up like freelance software jobs now and like make a lot of money from it. Mm. So how did you kind of like balance out that thinking in your head of wanting to work for yourself and wanting to do stuff that you're happy with versus stuff that puts food on the table? Um, so I realize there's this, have you ever read the book, The Alchemist? Mm-hmm. Paula Coelho. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just recently read that one of my favorite books for sure. And the idea that like, quote, all is one, um, is like an idea that's like used in a lot of different contexts. Um, but I realized that like, whether, whether it's me like working for a client, whether it's me working for myself, whether it's me like sweeping the floor, cleaning my house, or like doing a workout, everything, like the way I do it and my attitude towards it, like is sort of the same. If I have like a negative attitude, like working towards or consulting for somebody or like freelancing for them, then like what's stopping that negative attitude from like coming in and like, disrupting or like becoming like a poison in like a business I might start you sort of I sort of learned to realize that like yeah like my the the thing I want to do when I work on it no matter what it is I work on is like do a really excellent job and do really good at it and if I can do that I'll be happy and I don't need to have my own business to do that I can do a really good job doing anything like I could do a really good job sweeping the floor Mm-hmm. And I don't have to look at it as like slavery or as like a chore. I choose, I, I get to choose the perspective I have on the task that I'm doing. Um, and if I have negative perspectives towards like one thing, it's bound to seep into everything else. Um, so it's just a matter of, of, of seeing that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think I really like that perspective you have because it's the difference between doing and being an entrepreneur. Um like it's like some a lot of people they put entrepreneur in their bio and they say yeah I'm starting a business but they're not willing to put in the dirty work um and all the hours the 80 hours a week that they need to get that up and running whereas like the real entrepreneurship it's not 
sexy or fun or attractive. It's a lot of grinding. Um, I think that's something that not a lot of people understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I guess that's always why I've shied away from like the term entrepreneurship because I think there's just so much like stigma around it. And there's a lot of stigma around like what is an entrepreneur? Like you're not an entrepreneur, like a lot of gatekeeping as well. Like you're not mm-hmm. an entrepreneur unless X or you're not an entrepreneur, I guess, until Y. Um, I've always found it to be such a, such a weird term and like so weird that so many people like take pride in like having the title, I guess. So I kind of want to shift gears. Well, not really shift gears. It's more along the lines of um, consulting and freelancing and making money off of services that you can provide people. So when you shifted into consulting, um, like was it was this the same time as as when you were doing the forge? And could you talk about kind of that time in your life as well? Yeah, so it was the same time as doing the forge, and I think I was at like a pretty big low. Oh, sorry to interrupt, like, was... but could you tell our listeners about the forge as well? I think I just mentioned that. Oh yeah, giving context. Yeah, no worries. So the forge um, was this community I started around um, helping students. Uh, prepare for software engineering interviews and helping them get software engineering jobs. Um, and pretty much I, when I first had the idea, I was like, okay, I'm going to charge like $25 per month per member. And it's going to like make a bajillion tons of money. And like, it's a topic I'm like really uh, knowledgeable on. So like I didn't have any uh, problems. I didn't have any, like, uh, I, I guess, uh, concerns about putting content out there. And then I, I, I quickly learned that students, don't really have $25 a month laying around to like put towards a thing. So mm. um, in interest of like gr- growing the group, I made it free. So it was a free community. Um, and every week I would do the t- a YouTube tutorial and post it. I would send out weekly newsletters with resources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was really, it was going well. I like grew to like within the first two months of it being free, I grew to 700 members without mm. any money in advertising, any money in anything. Um, and I was feeling really good because it was successful, but I felt like it was a chore having to like put content content out really weak. It wasn't something I really enjoyed doing. And I also felt like, yeah, like it's going to take a while to monetize. And like, I just fit like financially could not live off of like zero income for that long. So I decided to stop it. Um, and, and that being said, like it's still, the website's still up and everything, all the tutorials and everything are still up. People are still joining the group. Like I stopped when I stopped, they had 700 members, but people are still finding the group mm-hmm. through like articles and stuff. And it's almost at a thousand members now. Um, so like in the future, I may start it again and maybe like get other people to make the content for it and just worried about like running it and managing it. Um, but that's sort of where I was. I was like, okay, like. I'm like pretty much out of my runway or like out of my credit card limits. Like, like I pretty much like I have no choice other than to like go back to it. But then like, yeah, I realized it wasn't that bad of a thing. In fact, it was like a really empowering thing because like by making a lot of money through consulting, like it allowed me to actually start spending marketing money and Mm -hmm. like giving me budgets for the businesses I wanted to start in the future. And it was a really like freeing, I felt like, yeah, now I don't have to just rely on starting a business and making it successful with zero capital to begin with. Like, I'll be able to, like, really put, air, like, a lot into the business because I'll have capital as well. So take me back to the time when you were starting consulting 
in like in the beginning of your consulting kind of career? Like, how did you find your first three customers, and what were the steps that got you started from zero to one? So I was really lucky. Um, so back when I was in university, uh, I was looking for, I was trying to do like freelance software jobs. Um, and there's this website called toptel.com. Um, and they pretty much promote that they are, they're like the, the top 3% of all software freelancers. Um, it's sort of like Upwork, except um, in order to get in, you have to go through a four stage interview process that like wow. rivals Google's interview process. Um, and while I was in the university, and yeah, so pretty much like all these people on this platform are like, ages like 30 up who have like 10 years of industry experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine like they charge quite a bit. If you hire mm. someone off top out, like they, they charge bill you quite a bit for your time. Um, and like, so while I was in university, I found it and I applied to it and like, I did really well in the interview process and I, I got in and I was, I think one of the youngest members to get in. Um, and because I was going off to into it, I didn't like, apply for any jobs or any or whatever so but um i kept my membership and your membership never expires and stuff like that so when i want it whenever i want to take up software freelance work like all i have to do is like set my availability to like available on that website and like they have all the jobs and stuff waiting people just like contact you and they're like hey i have this position it's like three months long um it's like a full-time position so you're working eight hours a week or it's like uh uh, part-time so you'll be working f- or sorry eight hours a day or part-time so you'll be working four hours a day um and yeah you get to set your rate and everything um so that's how I found my first couple of jobs and then like I went to networking events downtown like mm-hmm. I've had a couple of startups so like one of my clients right now is like a startup um that got like quite a bit of funding um and they the two founders are non-technical founders so they need okay. like sort of an interim CTO so my company is like acting as the interim CTO and we're like building out their MVP for them pretty much. Um, so that's like another example of how I find clients, I guess. <laughs> no, that's really cool because for filmmakers, videographers, I don't know if TopTal has that for like marketing or for product, like content creation is there. Like, do you know? Um, so they have, so they start off as software and then I think they now um, have product managers so you can be either a software engineer or a product manager, a financial advisor. And I think they just uh, uh, started doing UX designers. Um, and I am I think they might have marketing. I'm not too sure. Uh, I think they might have like digital marketing as well. Because I've seen some jobs and like some jobs are weird. Like, for example, <laughs> the skills they want are like for are like MailChimp or like Drip and stuff like that. Got it. That uh, is marketing. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know we did marketing and stuff like that. But um, yeah. <laughs> cool. So after, let's say you got your first few clients on um, TopTal and from the networking events, um, did you have any continuous clients or were, are you continuously looking for new clients rather than working with old ones? Uh, so I really like to keep my engagement short. I like to sort of like make, uh, I'm pretty dynamic. So like I'm constantly, like I have a whole list of projects and like every month I like to do something new. So usually my engagements are around a month long each. Um, some of them have been longer, like this startup I'm uh, currently contracting for is like going to be maybe a three to four month contract. Um, but yeah, whenever like it's necessary for me to like get new income, I'll just like take on. I'll, I'll have like a very defined amount of money I want to make from it. 
Um, and yeah, my rate's like really high. So like, uh, like I usually only have to work like a month maybe to like make all the money I need to make and then just like go back to doing whatever the hell <laughs> I want to do. <laughs> that sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's dynamic, I guess. So it seems like you're really confident about what you bring to the table when you talk to these companies. Um, on one hand, it's all it's about how much you charge, like you're confident charging that amount. On the other hand, you're also confident in the results you're about to give them. Like, did you always have this or was there a moment in time when you were kind of not as confident doing this? Um, yeah, so the, yeah, I guess, uh, like you said, the reason I charge like as much as I do is because I'm extremely confident in my abilities as a software engineer. Um, and I didn't always have that. So for example, like, um, a lot of the contracts I've had recently were in a technology that before I took the contract, I literally had no knowledge about at all. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) which I mean, I don't always like tell, you know, the people I'd be working for that or like before I start the job, like I'll do like a very quick project to like get me briefed on the technology. But I guess my confidence isn't as much in my like software engineering ability as it is like my ability to really adapt and sort of learn on the fly as I go. So Mm. um, I know I'm able to do that, which means like, yeah, even if I take a job that I have zero understanding what's going on, like I'm very confident I'll be able to like bring myself to that level like without compromising the quality of the uh, of the work I'm doing um, on the contract. Mm. And I think as a consultant slash freelancer slash everything else that I do myself, like there's a lot of organization that I have to do both for my clients and for my own marketing for like my own brand for yourself. Like what does your day to day look like and how do you organize and keep everything focused for you that's a really good question so i (laughs) the thing i've sort of been like battling with is number one i'm like i do like organization i like organization but i absolutely hate routine um Mm. if i go like a week doing the exact same thing every day like it starts to feel like i hate like i'm really against it um my day-to-day pretty much goes like i get at least eight hours of sleep. When I wake up, I do like a quick, uh, I do a a very quick workout. Um, Like I'll write in my five minute journal and then I'll like meditate. And all that together takes maybe like 30 minutes. And because it's so short, like I don't really have a problem about that being like a routine in my life because it's just such a short Uh amount of stuff. And then from like after that, I just do, like I have a list called like today would be awesome if, and then like, I just think about what would be really fun to do today and I just put it in there and then I just do those things. Like if I'm working on a project, like it'd be really fun if I continue working on the project. If like I have a call or something, like I just like do that call whenever it is. Like every day is super, I guess, unique for me. Mm. Um, So it sounds like you don't have a long-term plan from what I'm hearing, but I feel like you do as well. So how do you kind of balance the long-term, the short-term and the medium-term? That's a good question. So, uh, yeah, so that's a really good point. So I I have, like, a long-term, for example, so I have short, long, and medium-term plans, I guess. And, like, the way I do it is, like, okay, um, I don't plan things in, in terms of, like, by 
uh, by like the end of today, I want X, Y, and Z done. It's sort of like, okay, my goal right now is I want to create something. So like, for example, I'll, I'll speak from it like experience. Like my, ex- my goal right now um, is I want to um, build something that a lot of people are going to use. And I'm like, okay, I want to build something a lot of people are going to use. Like the first step was like finding something to build. And like, I ended up getting really lucky and I found something that's um, really, really good to build that as soon as I build it, like a lot of people will use it like right away. Um, And it's like, okay, like I have an idea of when I want to get this done by. And like, I don't give myself like, for example, like some days I'll just not work anything on it. Like, I don't give myself, like, I have to work at least four hours a day on this thing. Like, some days I wake up and I'm, like, so excited to work on this thing, like, today, that, like, I'll just clear everything else in my day and just specifically work on that. And that's been, like, my last five days. Like, I've been really excited to work on this thing because it's so close to being done that, like, the entire day, like, for 13 hours, I'll just sit there and work on it. And, like, it's just really fun and invigorating. And some days, like, maybe I'll be doing something else and I won't get to work on it at all. So it's sort of that same like structured yet unstructured routine yet no routine, I guess, philosophy um, that I have. It's sort of just like I wake up and it, it, I ha- it, a lot of my day is like making sure like the things that I have fun doing are in line with what my goals are. Because like if my goals are X and like I'm doing Y to get to X, but Y doesn't feel fun, like I'm not going to want to do Y. So like a lot of it's like, mentally like mental working on myself like mindset wise and figuring out like how I can make it so I do want to do why and make mm-hmm. it exciting and fun for me I guess so where did that mindset of focusing on the fun rather than productivity come from because it's because I love it like it's a very pure and simple and honestly counterintuitively it's productive as well to do that because it's sustainable in the long term like where did that perspective of looking for fun come from rather than productivity and like the rat race and burning your wheels so i actually believe that like you are the most productive when you are in the highest like state of mind so to give you an uh, to give you an analogy it's sort of like studying for an exam after like your pet just died or something like (laughs) your mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a pretty morbid example but like your mind is in a really like dark place like everything you do when you're when your mind is in when your awareness is in that place is going to be like 10 times worse than if you just if like you were in like a really good mental state um so my philosophy is that like yeah when you're in a good mental state it's not like you do things exponentially better and things exponentially work out more which is why i think mental health and like mental growth is the most important thing in life because if you mm. focus so much about quote hitting that hourly quota or like getting x amount of work done like you could very well be wasting hours like i think two hours in a really good mental state it's worth 10 hours in a really bad mental state Mm, Um, probably even more and that's why even when i worked at intuit it was a nine to five job but i would be in the office for at most four hours a day like i would come in i would spend four hours and i would just dip like i would come in from 11 to 3 that was my schedule um and i got like a lot of work done to me it's not uh, productivity is not about the amount of hours i put in it's Mm. about the mind state i'm in when i'm putting those hours in so two questions follow-up questions towards that one is how did you learn to think like this and the second is if you were to kind of walk someone through 
how to get to this kind of mental state? Like when you're feeling down, what do you do? So those are two really good questions. So the first question, um, I have, I guess one of my really good friends is sort of like my mentor and he like, um, he learned a lot of this, like he sort of learns it and like, um, summarizes it and sort of, uh, sort of, um, puts it all together and then like expresses those learnings to me. And these are all concepts that are sort of stitched from a lot of different philosophies from people like Napoleon Hill, um, like Frank Kern, like other, other like, Nate, Jay Abraham, like other big names and stuff like that in like the sort of self-help uh, sector. Um, so that's where a lot of this comes from. Tony Robbins. Oh my God, I love Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> Date with Destiny? <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, and I guess your second question was how would I walk someone through it if they were in a... Mm-hmm. Or like, what's your routine if you're feeling down? Like, how do you get yourself back up to a good state? Yeah, so what I do is so, like, I make sure, like, at the beginning of the day, like, I always start my day off at a, a positive thing. So, like, I I wake up, like, I do a little workout, then I, like, um, I shower and I do, like, a like my five-minute journal and I meditate for, like, five minutes. Um, and if something, like, gets me down within that, it, I do this, like, um, I guess it's, like, a form. So, I think different things work for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found works for me is sort of just, like closing my eyes like focusing on the negative feeling and sort of like just distancing distancing myself from it it's sort of like a form of like centering um and i i never like calling it meditation or like saying i do meditation because i think there's like such a certain stigma attached to meditation (laughs) or like such a, a predisposition attached to meditation but I don't know what else to call, like, closing your eyes and, like, feeling that feeling and distancing mm-hmm. yourself from it. If there was a name for it, I would use it. Um, that's, <laughs> so that's where did you doing. learn to do that? Because I think you did mention that you did meditation before. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you learn? Is there, like, a track that you listen to? Um, so my meditation – so I learned from – so there's a monk – a former monk named Dandapani. Uh, mm. And I just happened to, like, come across one of his TED Talks. And this guy is, like, so awesome. He's, like, he graduated as an electrical engineer and then just dropped everything and moved to Hawaii and became a monk. <laughs> that a sounds monk like you. <laughs> it sort of sounds, yeah, like, yeah, it, like, it was crazy. He was, like, from the age of four, I knew I wanted to be a monk. And then, like, <laughs> at 22 years old, after he graduated from electrical engineering, he became a monk for 10 years and then he left. And he teaches, like, his form of, like, meditation practice. And, like... I got one of his courses after seeing his TED Talk. His TED Talk, I thought, was, like, one of the most amazing TED Talks I've ever seen in my life. Um, And I got his course. And I was never into meditation or anything. Um, But, like, yeah, he teaches, like, how meditation, how he does meditation. And, like, it's really in alignment with the idea of, like, abundance. Like, he's like, yeah, some people think of meditation as just, like, clearing your mind. He's like, I don't think that's what meditation is. He's like, meditation is, like, I guess a TLDR would be like his form of meditation is like focusing on like what you want out of life and focusing on that feeling and like feeling abundant in that feeling which like if you think about it it goes back to like what napoleon hill says it goes back to like what tony robbins says it's just a form of expressing that i guess a form of like becoming abundant in like what it is you're trying to achieve um and so and then the idea of like getting rid of the negative feelings um is like also sort of a form of that it's like you're not like embracing it. You're not running away from it. You're not trying Mm -hmm. to repress it. You're just like accepting it for what it is. And when you accept that negative feeling for what it is, it's just there. 
um, you choose how you let that feeling affect you. Like I'll acknowledge like if something happens that pisses me off, like I'll acknowledge it. But I also acknowledge the fact that like it doesn't have to influence how I think and it doesn't have to influence how I react to it. it it's just there. Uh, and like that's sort of like what he teaches as well. And like what other forms of like, I guess, like abundance and like scarcity trainings teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a couple of comments on what you just said. The first is about abundance and scar- scarcity. Um, could you kind of go into detail for some listeners who don't really understand like the difference between those two mindsets? Um, could you elaborate a bit more on the differences and like what's good, what's bad about both of those? Sure. So to, I guess on a conceptual level, so uh, I'll explain it sort of how Napoleon Hill explains it. And the way he explains it is like the universe works off like vibrations. And whenever you think something, you are emitting that quote vibration. And like, uh, just to preface it, like I'm just explaining it, like how they explain it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like whether you believe it in this conceptual like theory or not, like doesn't really matter. It's sort of just to preface it. So the idea is like, yeah, all your thoughts have vibrations and everything in the world works off vibrations and vibrations attract things of similar vibrations. So for example, if I have a lot of positive thoughts, like I am like naturally going to um, attract things that also like have to do with positive thoughts. So like it's sort of the idea, you know, that saying like rich get richer, um, it sort of makes sense because like their thoughts waves are very in line with like the richness of the world. Therefore they attract the riches of the world. Um, so that's like the theoretical way of explaining it. Now the, like the way I like to use is like um, when you are like thinking about something in a certain way, you're more likely to see other things in a certain way. Like mm. if you are, are, if your thought, if your perspective towards things is really negative, or if you hold the belief, say for example, that making a lot of money or quote, being an entrepreneur takes a lot. If you hold the belief that making a lot of money is extremely hard, you are going to look at everything else in life in with that belief's lens in front of you. Mm-hmm. So like if I look at like digital marketing and be like, yeah, but you have to go to university to get a marketing degree. Or if I look at software engineering, I'll be like, yeah, but number one, you have to work at a really good company and it's really hard to do that because you have to be really good at coding. And it could take like 10 years to be really good at coding, which is actually a belief that a lot of students 10, have. 10,000 hours. Exactly. The 10,000 hours belief, which like I don't hold um, personally, I don't hold the 10,000 hours belief. Um, or if I do, I don't correlate it with money or getting a job at any position or X, Y, and Z. Um, when you have that type of belief, it's sort of like a scarcity belief because you believe that it's very hard to do something or your skill set is very limited to achieve something that you are in scarcity of this thing. And when you hold that scarcity belief, you go through life with that lens in front of you. Everything you look at, you're you're going to you're going to be crossing off possibilities that you didn't even know exist before you know they exist. Like when you see some like the difference is if you believe that like you have the opportunity to get very good at anything in a short amount of time. When someone's like, "Yeah, you want to make a lot of money? Get good at coding." Because you have the belief that you can get really good at anything in a short amount of time, 
the thought of like, oh, why don't I do coding? Like I could get really good at it will pop into your head. Whereas if you don't hold that belief and you hold the belief that like getting good at anything takes a lot of time and like you're not good enough, you're not disciplined enough, like that that idea of why don't I do coding isn't even going to be a possibility in your mind. It's the whole abundance scarcity thing, the way I like to look at it as it is like, if you look at things from scarcity, you're crossing off so much potential opportunities. You're not, you're not allowing your mind to even bring up these possible opportunities because you're in just in such scarcity to so many things. Whereas Mm. if you're in abundance of a lot of things and you think in terms of abundancies, you naturally attract more opportunity to you because you can see that opportunity. There are things you, it's sort of like in the alchemist, like he says, like, uh, like the whole point of the alchemist is like the treasure or like the opportunity that you've been waiting for your entire life could be right under your nose and you won't realize it until you're worthy of achieving it. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not you're worthy of achieving it is completely like personal mindset and like growth in my opinion. I think there was an an illustration that helped me understand the difference between abundance and scarcity was like if there's a pie scarcity is about how the pie has eight slices and everyone just gets a slice and if you're the ninth person then you don't get one Um, but abundance is like making a bigger pie like you make this huge apple pie and everyone has more of everything um that life is kind of an all-you-can-eat buffet rather than like let's say a sit-down meal where everyone can only have a little bit of something wow that's a really really good way of looking at it i really like that (laughs) um so let's say someone does want to make that switch they realize that okay i have a scarcity mindset like i think that oh if someone if my friend gets a client that means one less client for me like how would you walk them through to switching to a more abundant mindset very good question so i think the first step to anything um, including this related to like uh, mindset um, lives within like self-awareness and reflection. Um, so if you're someone who's stuck in that negative thought loop of like everything you see, everything you do, it's all negative, negative, negative. There are two steps to solving it. Number one, you have to catch it when it happens. Um, mm-hmm. And then number two, when you do catch it, you have to divert your thought pattern to like a more abundance thought pattern. And the way you do this properly is like becoming a lot more self-aware and a lot more like metacognitive of like mm-hmm. the way you think. Um, and you can do that by things like journaling, like sitting, just sitting down. How many people just sit are okay with just sitting down and like thinking for like five to ten minutes? Mm-hmm. Like when was the last time? You like sat there and you asked yourself a question like, why do I feel like this? Or like, what made me feel like this? A lot of us want to escape that feeling. That's why we keep it noisy and with all our phones out. There you go. It's, it's a lot of it is like, you have to be willing to really just be completely honest with yourself and like be like very aware of the way you think um, and what causes the feeling, what thought patterns like bring these feelings up and once you once you're aware of them and once you see them happening it's just a matter of like catching them as they happen and like diverting it over to what you actually want them to be like um catching these negative thought patterns like turning them into positive ones um it's that simple but i mean the process is the 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 how is very simple the doing it is is the hard part because you have to be really on point with it you have to really be okay with taking a hard look at yourself, getting your feelings out there, facing some hard truths. And I think, like you said, not a lot of people 
are, are willing to do that. And that's why they tune it, a lot of it out or make sure they're distracted 24-7. Mm, so was there a specific moment, let's say, like you were in a more of a scarcity mindset before and now you're in a more abundant mindset? Like, was there a moment in time when you were like, okay, like now is the time I want to realize like what's actually happening here and kind of flip the switch on my own brain? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think... Um, this biggest example is that of that the three months I was living in an Airbnb, that whole three months. So I I came from like I come from like a very like poor background, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And like when I got my job in Silicon Valley, like I told myself, I'm like, this is the last time I will ever be broke again. And like I've seen a lot of like bad stuff, like financial troubles. I think is like the root of what caused my parents to separate. Financial troubles has like and like debt has like played like my mom for like a really long time and stuff like that. And like I always how the like I was always very adamant about the fact that I would never be in debt. I would never have financial troubles. Mm-hmm. And like it got to the point where it was a fear. Um and when I left my job and I was living in my Airbnbs, all of a sudden I was running out of money and I wasn't making any money. I'm like, oh my God. Like those three months I was like uh, my day-to-day pro like mindset was just all fear because I was so afraid of um going into poverty back into poverty and going into debt um and like that was just such a big scarcity mindset because of my scarce like it was a, a catch-22 right like I was trying to make a ton of money but I was doing so with a complete scarcity mindset mm. around money right um and and it was at that point i was like all right i need to conquer this like once and for all and like um i eventually like started doing that and things got a lot better after that so could you describe the conversation you had with your mom one when you told her that you'd quit your job (laughs) and two (laughs) that you were moving back in here with her after a few months yeah so i actually so it was really funny i actually quit my job and told nobody until like maybe a couple days later. And I just, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I like quit my job. And <laughs> that was the same thing with me. <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I don't know how your parents reacted, but mine, like they were like, you are insane. Like they were pretty pissed. Um, <laughs> yeah. They were really pissed. And then, um, yeah, my mom was, she's a pretty like a uh, vigilant person, I guess. Like mm-hmm. if you're, if you do something wrong, like she wants you to know it. So like when I moved back in, She's like, oh, now you're moving back in because you don't have enough money to go live in Airbnbs? Wow. If you save your money, if you stay at your job, blah, blah, blah. So she was like really. Mm-hmm. Like how long <laughs> did that uh, guilt trip phase kind of it was, It's still going on. I it's mean, still going on. Like I don't think she would let me remember, but she she knows that like I know what I'm doing. And like it, it's sort of like she just likes to like bring that up every now and then, I guess. <laughs> So now when she does bring it up, like, what do you tell her as kind of proof that you're doing fine? Um, well, I show her how much money I have now. (laughs) (laughs) Or like how much money I'm making and stuff. Like, and yeah, for both my parents, like they, I guess like money is like a really big factor. So like, as long as I'm making money, like neither of them could care less whether I like run a strip club or (laughs) like not, or like work as a software engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so... Do you see yourself doing this um, for, like, let's say the next five years? Or do you think, like, one of your businesses is going to take off and you're going to stop consulting? Uh, well, my consulting, I pretty much only use as a source of income. So, like, once I have, like, enough income to be stable, like, it's sort of these cycles. So, like, uh, I, which I really, really enjoy. It's a cycle of, like, making sure I have 
more than enough money than I need to like survive. And then like, once I'm at that point, I just like do random stuff and like, I do my own stuff. And that is usually in the form of like a business or like a website that someone's going to use. Um, and then like, and then like, I keep doing that and I put as much money into it as I need to. And like, I'm just going to keep doing this until like something really takes off pretty much. Like, I think I've finessed myself into a really, really, really good position where like, I have the ability to make money like on the snap of the fingers and the ability to stop working mm-hmm. on the snap of the fingers. And then like, I have the skill, the technical skills and that I need to like, whatever I want to make, I could just like go ahead and make it like on my own, no questions asked. Type of thing. Mm. So that seems like a dream for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people are creative. Maybe they don't have the technical skill or they have the technical skill, but they don't know the marketing side to actually make money from their skill. Um, Zooming out at a high level, how long did it take for you to get to this point of freedom and being able to do basically whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want? Um, It was a bit, so I guess it sort of came to me, uh, I guess because it was my goal, like it sort of worked to me. Like the biggest thing is that um, I'm able to support myself off of an income because I'm, like, I'm extremely good at something. Um so, like, in order for all of this to happen, like, A, I have to be extremely good at something that's, like, well-wanted in the market. And in my case, it's, like, coding. Um, B, I have to have experience, like, doing marketing and, like, other business stuff, which I, you know, gained in the last year, like, at a very, like, steep price, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, like, going through, like, pretty much hell to get that. And then, like, C, um, I guess, like, the want to do that, Um I mean, if you have those three things, like, I think anyone could be um, in this situation. Like, I I just think I'm really lucky in the sense that my, like, skill of choice or, like, the thing I'm really good at is technically technical because, like, most of the ideas I come up with and most of the businesses I want to run are all, like, technical stuff. And mm-hmm. I save a lot of time by, like, instead of having to pay, like, a development team $20,000 to, like, create my website, like, I can just make the thing in a week. Um, mm. which is like, I think, yeah, sort of just like lucky, auspicious. Um, yeah. So if you would put a number on, let's say the very beginnings, like zero level zero to where you are now, let's say you're at level 10. Now, if you were to put a number of years or months on how long that took, like, how would you estimate that number to be? Hmm. Hmm. Are we talking about how long it took me or how long I think someone could do it in? Um, how long it took you? So me, I guess, from the day I started taking coding seriously, which was three years ago. Mm-hmm. Three years ago, I think. Um, yeah, around three years ago. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, so if the you three years ago, before you took coding seriously, could meet the you now... What would current you say to the old you? Hmm. Hmm. I guess <laughs> I would tell myself, like, keep doing you and, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't think of, like, if I would say something to myself, it would be because I would want him to do something differently. But, like, I can't think of anything I would, like, change moving back because, like, everything I did 
before like is what got me to this position so if i change something like there's a chance i wouldn't be in this position so i'm not sure Mm. (laughs) no that's pretty awesome because it's like you don't see anything as a failure everything is just a test or an experiment and you learn something from it so it's a win-win either way abundance mentality yeah yeah i guess you're right well i think this is the last question before we get into the rapid fire questions um but if you had 12 weeks to teach someone how to consult and make money off of their skill, how would you start and how would you go about it? Mm, I think, well, am I assuming they already have a skill? Mm, They already have a skill that they're proud of and that they're good at doing. Hmm, Let me think. I think I would spend the first eight weeks of the 12 weeks doing all mindset related stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like teaching them about abundance mentalities, like teaching them like about like how to like um, deal with negative emotions, teaching them how to like value themselves, teaching them how to have confidence, all that stuff. Um, And then like the last four weeks, I would just go about like, um, like teaching them how to be resourceful. So like, for example, depending on what their skill is, like I would teach them how to find where their market exists, where their market lives. And then like, then hard skills, maybe like, like the basics of selling, the basics of marketing, like anything else that could help. But I think like, even with the first eight weeks, anyone who truly understands the first eight weeks is going to be successful, like regardless of what field they're in or like how much prior marketing or X amount or knowledge they have. Mm-hmm. I I like that part of doing the internal work first. And it's kind of like a tree where you got to have deep roots before you can be a big, strong tree. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and yeah, I really like that. It's the soft skill before the technical skills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cool. All right. We're heading on to the rapid fire questions. And they don't have to be rapid fire answers. Um, they're just a set of questions <laughs> that I ask every guest. Uh, all right. First question. What's one thing could be a book, podcast, song, piece of media, whatever that you recently forwarded or shared to a friend? Um, I actually just last night shared Don Dapani's TED talk, uh, to one of my friends yesterday. It's a 30 minute video on YouTube. Um, and I think it's really good. Awesome. And what's the latest thing that you raved to your friends about? Um, probably, uh, Probably that, but even before that, like uh, the book, The Alchemist. Um, the Alchemist. The Alchemist. All right. Um, I think you talked about this before, but what are your morning rituals and what are your evening rituals? Uh, every morning when I wake up, I make sure like I do a quick workout. I write in my five-minute journal. I take a shower and I meditate. And then every night before I go to bed, I make sure I also write in my five-minute journal, do an actual journal, and I love to read. So I read for at least like 30 minutes a night. Nice. What are you reading right now? I'm currently reading Do, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Oh, uh, that's um, uh, Philip K. Dick. Exactly. Hey. You're a sci-fi fan? No, uh, I just took a philosophy course in, in Ryerson. Mm. Um, and we actually had like a lot of Philip K. Dick readings there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really mm. enjoying it so far. Okay, so what obsessions do you explore in the evenings or weekends? Um, 
all of my days are pretty much the same since like <laughs> so like evenings and weekends are both the same and I <laughs> yeah I, I guess I just love to build shit so I really enjoy learning or building new stuff via code awesome so what's a favorite failure of yours or how has a failure set you up for later success Wow, that is a really good question. Um, hmm. I th- okay. I think my biggest failure was probably. Um, wow, I can't even like think of anything I consider <laughs> like a real failure because I learned. Okay, I'm gonna. So as a business, okay, financially, I think my cat store uh, mm-hmm. was a failure on the scale of my e-commerce dropshipping cat store was a failure in the sense that like it didn't scale as fast as it should have. Um, And it was my favorite failure because like I got to use it it sort of like um, in order to even get it working at a minimum level, I like used my coding knowledge and like made a bot for like Instagram and like got sales that way. And like, it was a failure because like I was getting very, uh, I didn't have any capital to spend in marketing and like I was getting a low amount of sales, but it was one of my favorite failures because I know it's something I can go back on once I like, if I want to with capital and like turn it into like something huge, but that I made it work with my own skills, even though I didn't have, I guess the money to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who is someone whose work has most impacted your life? Could be a mentor online person. However you kind of define that. Uh, I would say, yeah, uh, my mentor. So not so much his work, but like, I guess his like teachings uh, to me. Um, and also a lot of people like, uh, yeah, Napoleon Hill, uh, Napoleon Hill mainly. Got it. Uh, what is an achievement you're most proud of in the last one to two months? Um, I created this new website uh, and I use like technologies I've never used before and um, I just came up with the idea one day and like within a week, it was pretty much done. And it was like really nice. It's one of like the best things I've made so far. <laughs> cool. I would love a link to that and share it with everybody. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it's for a video game. I don't know if like a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's something you think everyone should do more of or at least try? Um, I think a lot of people should reflect more. So whether that's in the form of journaling, writing letters to yourself, like sitting down five minutes a day and just talking to yourself, like however it works for you, I think just reflecting. Mm-hmm. And who is one person um, whose video, interview, podcast, maybe a photo, yet you would 100% click on when you see it on your feed? Uh, definitely Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. You listen to his yeah. podcast too? Uh, I actually, I actually only started like watching videos of him and like listened to him like within the past three weeks. Um, so I haven't got to his podcast yet, but I'm excited for it. <laughs> I, I listened to his um interview with uh, that snowboarder. Ah, oh. uh, can't remember his name, but he's a really famous snowboarder, and I love that interview. I think it's like maybe the third from the top right now, third from the most recent, but that was really cool. Oh man, Um, you should link me and I'll watch it. I will link to it. it. (laughs) And last question. Um, Since this is the creator maker life podcast, what's your favorite part about what you do and the life you lead? Um, I like that. I have the freedom to like build, like come up with an idea and just like build it whenever I want. I guess like that's probably one of the funnest like greatest feelings I have in my day-to-day life just 
having the power and like the knowledge and like the means to just create whatever I want, whatever I want. That's awesome. Well, uh, Anthony, I just want to acknowledge you for the passion that you bring. Like listening to this interview, it was like pumping me up. Like listening to your excitement, <laughs> it was like pretty awesome. Very Tony Robbins. <laughs> you learn for the best. Um, I also want to acknowledge your generosity and like the abundance that you actually went into this interview and with, like our friendship too. Like you're always out there helping people, building communities. Just very generous with your time. Um, and last thing is like you have almost like a perfect combination of art and science. Like you're a software engineer who knows how to do marketing, who does reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> like that's pretty rare in my opinion. So I just want to acknowledge and thank you for just all these things that you bring to the table. Wow. Thanks for the kind words. <laughs> you're very welcome. So how can people reach you to learn more about you and your work? Uh, I mean, um, if you want to get into contact with me, uh, hit me up well i have a website and it shows like all my stuff so anthonysistilli.com and if you want to email me you can email me or if you want to message me on twitter or something you can message me on twitter got it we'll have all of that information in the show notes um and that is it for this interview thanks anthony cool thanks so much for interviewing yeah you're welcome and i'll talk to you soon bye bye Hey friends, this is Roxine again, and just a few more things before you head out for the day. First of all, thank you for hanging out and spending some time with me and Anthony today, and I hope you enjoyed it and learned some things. The show notes for this episode will be in roxinekey.com, and I would love to know what you got out of this episode, and you can let me know your thoughts and your feedback on Twitter at roxinekey, that is R-O-X-I-N-E-K-E-E. And if you like this podcast, I can pretty much guarantee that you'll love my weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for on my site, roxinekey.com. Of course, I'll email you every week once a new episode of the podcast is up, usually on a Sunday, but I'll also email out long-form articles to you with notes and lessons from the books I read. Recent favorites include Great by Choice by Jim Collins and Mark Mance's The Subtle Art of Giving a F asterisk C-K. Yeah, I had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> You'll also get my semi-regular monthly and annual reports that document my progress as I build my business, make progress on my impossible list, which is a bucket list on steroids, and I figure out how to live life better too. In the future, email subscribers will get exclusive access for subscriber meetups, secret AMAs with my guests, special offers, and a ton of content, a ton of content that I don't put out publicly on the blog. All of my writing, none of it is fluff, none of it is clickbait, none of it are listicles. All of it is based on my personal experience and process in the trenches, building a business and designing a life that I'm proud to have. This way you can save time and shortcut my mistakes, taking lessons from my life to help you quickly improve yours. If you enjoy the stuff I dig into in this podcast, then you will also dig the blog. Head over to roxinkey.com slash podcast. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. And I hope you enjoy it. Peace out, fam.